Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. This week, I speak with Meg Murphy, the CMO of Systems and Partner Ecosystem at IBM on building allies and confidence. Meg is an inspiration for women in tech and STEM, and it was so great to have her on the show. We dive into how to be seen as a leader without the title, the disproportionate effect that COVID has had on women, how to be a better ally, and much, much more. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Meg Murphy, the CMO of IBM Systems and Partner Ecosystems at IBM. Unlike most tech companies we speak with, IBM is a 110-year-old company that continues to be on the cutting edge of innovation today. Meg has had an incredible career, growing her marketing chops in product marketing, digital marketing, and demand gen, but also building her overall business acumen by leading sales and product teams along the way. In addition to her professional successes, Meg is also an advocate for women in tech, STEM initiatives, and enjoys working with local schools and nonprofits. Meg, welcome to the show. So thrilled to have you here. Oh, thanks so much, Mary, and thanks to all of our listeners. Absolutely. Well, let's get started with our favorite question from this season, which is what are you the most proud of? I am a single mom and I am most proud of my two daughters. Uh, And as they emerge into young women, I got to feel like I did something right because they're always kind of pushing back on me and challenging me in a good way. That's so wonderful. Well, they have a fantastic role model in you, and that is just amazing. Glad to hear that they are your pride and joy. (laughs) Well, I'd love to hear about your role as one of the CMOs of IBM and your key focus areas. Fill us in on how that's going. Well, all this year, we've been lucky to work with our new CMO, and she's been leading us through a transformation. So previously, I would say we'd lived in a continuous pattern of transformation. What that means is we're always challenging ourselves to do better and to get it right. One of our persistent pains was we operated in a lot of silos coming out of our IBM business structure. So business units and geographies and markets, a corporate demand gen team, a corporate advertising team. And with Carla coming on board, she's really saw an opportunity to bring us together as one global marketing team. And so while I've been really proud to serve as the CMO of IBM Systems and Partner Ecosystem, about mid-year, I stepped into a new role as the leader of our marketing operations and market insights team. And our goal from those two teams' perspective is to really bring, to empower the marketer with the right data, streamline processes, and to make the life of the marketer easier and more enjoyable at IBM. Well, that's certainly a great goal. And as a marketer, I can say thank you for having that as your vision. Really appreciated. I'd love to understand how you got to this level. I know that's probably a lofty question, but I'd love to hear some of the highlights of your career, some of the focus areas that you think got you prepared to be one of the CMOs and operate at this level. Sure. Well, I looked at the stats and I think my stats are seven startups, two IPOs, four acquisitions, meaning we were acquired. And if anybody's been through that cycle, that's quite an adventure. And then more Taco Tuesdays than I can count, which is something uniquely Austin. And then life at IBM. And like you mentioned, I was lucky enough. I started out in tech support, which early on taught me the value of what you promise in your brand as a marketer, you've got to deliver in your product and your customer experience. And when you design a great product, it makes the life of the tech support 
person so much easier. And really as a marketer, connecting with tech support makes so much sense because you really learn how much of your brand promise is reality. But I was lucky enough to work in sales and product management and where that helped me as a marketer was really to get that in view of what the buyer experience and the customer journey is really like and really see how all the parts of the business fit together and really understand deeply your stakeholders, what their jobs are really like and what their pain points are, what their hopes and aspirations are. That just makes you a more effective marketer to have that kind of business perspective. Along the way, I always consider myself a product marketer, but because I was lucky enough to work in so many startups, digital was key for us. I would consider myself a digital native. In a small startup environment, you learn that if you invest in great CRM and marketing automation tools with the right talent, you can really scale your companies fast. So along the way, we just became digital, but nothing can really shortcut the power of an effective product marketing team. And that to me has always been grounded in deep understanding of the buyer, really articulating the product market fit, what you do better than your competitors and how you can help set your customers up for success. That kind of knowledge sets every other marketing function up for being impactful to the business. That's wonderful. Well, first of all, I think we need the Meg Murphy infographic with all of those stats with an outline of the tacos. So that's how I'm visualizing your career today. But yeah, it's wonderful to hear all of the different pieces that went into this. And I think it's not something that is totally unique to this show. We hear a lot of the CMOs and VP of marketing that have been on the show have a lot of that technical experience. Some of them have even started off as engineers moving into product management, sales, marketing. But what I like is that you've really tried them all and gone deep with them and that you've chosen marketing at the end of it. So that's really fantastic. And it sounds like product marketing had a really particular influence on your career and is something that's really the backbone of marketing in general for you as you approach your job today. I absolutely am a huge fan and advocate for product marketing as a discipline and have such tremendous respect because there's the pressure of sitting in kind of the intersection of customers, buyers, your ecosystem partners, your sellers, and your product management teams. So it's exciting and thrilling to be at the intersection of all of those teams, but it is incredibly stressful because they all are kind of pulling you in in certain directions. And that's why I am also a huge advocate of customer insights and net promoter and nothing is more powerful than a product marketer who can share new insights about customers and buyers and maybe even surprise sellers and product managers with the knowledge that they have. I love that. And I just heard product marketing described in kind of a new way, which is the API between the business and the product teams. And I think that what you described there with the customer insights, the net promoter score, all of those different data points that we can use to make their jobs more enriched, to give them more insights, to build better products, as you kind of started off saying in the beginning of your career. I think it's just a wonderful way to connect the dots and have everything be interconnected there. So thanks so much for sharing that. I'd love to move now to a topic that I know that you're really interested in, which is leaders versus executives. And would love to talk about how that's a really important concept for women in particular. Can you explain a little bit more? I'd love to. The other thing I would say I've been really proud of on a professional side is getting the opportunity to work with so many smart people and so many smart women in marketing, many of them early in their career. And nothing has been more rewarding than to see really smart people advance in their careers. And usually it's because they recognize, and I hope to always encourage, if you are the early professional or the mid-career professional, but you happen to be the expert in analytics or the expert 
expert around a certain buyer segment or an expert in the latest social strategies and tactics. And I want you to feel that you're on equal footing or even better footing than an executive in a meeting. And I always encourage our teams to be that leader in a meeting, to lead a discussion, to have a point of view, not to be afraid to make a recommendation or to either be controversial and contrarian by disagreeing in whether it's a small company or a large company like IBM, there's a certain formality. And I'm always a little disappointed when I see people deferring based on the authority of an executive title. So what I think is a great opportunity I want more women to take advantage of is use your expertise, see yourself as a leader, don't get hung up on do you have that executive title or not, because you are a leader of your subject matter. That is wonderful advice. And I think that it needs to be said more. So I'm so glad that this is a passion point of yours. What would you say is one step the women listeners on our show could do tomorrow to build more confidence to have that leadership in some of these more executive settings? Do it. (laughs) Uh, Nothing makes you more comfortable than just taking that big gulp and speaking up, speaking up on a call. Nothing is more disappointing than when you say to yourself after the fact, but I had this data point or I wish I had made this statement. I mean, even if you get it wrong, you're going to be more comfortable for having engaged in the conversation and you don't want to find yourself. And it's even more challenging now that we've all been kind of working remotely and through WebEx and Zoom that sometimes you have to lean in to really engage in the conversation. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to get. And the more you like stumble over your words or maybe don't express yourself exactly as you wanted, you're going to get more comfortable. And people will respect you for speaking up. If you're a fellow woman participant on a call and one of your compatriots or peers is kind of struggling to get her point across or being even talked over, then be that upstander that kind of, hey, I think, you know, Mary's trying to make this point and then ease the way. There's so many ways we can support each other, whether it's in an in-person meeting or a conference call. And first, First, I would say speak up. And then I would say be a good cheerleader and support person for your teammates that are also trying to make their points. Those are all so great. Actually, someone did that for me yesterday in a meeting. I was kind of struggling to get to the point and I was someone that's higher up than me. And she said, you know, what I think Mary's really trying to say is this, and it made both of us look good. So I was very thankful for that. And she rescued me in that moment, but it happens all across the board. But I also am glad you mentioned the virtual world and the kind of Zoom atmosphere that we're living in, because I think it is a very different energy and a very different approach than when you were physically in the room at the table in these meetings. Sometimes you'll be on meetings with 40 people. And I think it's really intimidating to kind of pop in there. So I've also started to say to my colleagues that need a little bit more confidence in speaking up in these meetings, just ask one really good question during the meeting. One thing where people know you're there and will remember you, or just say one thing during those meetings. And as you start to build that confidence, you can kind of start off small, get bigger and bigger. But I understand that it can be really intimidating. So I love the approach of just do it. Just get it out there and start practicing. You know, and I always appreciate the help. We've done a lot of town halls or small group huddles. And one of the things that really makes for a more engaging meeting, and it might be a way to step in for some folks based on their communication style, is take advantage of the chat function. Or if your company engages through Teams or Slack, sometimes they'll have those channels running. And that's another place that you can engage and and build your brand profile a little bit. That's such a good point. And I think as we go back to hybrid work environments, potentially in the future, where some people are virtual, some people are in the office, that chat functionality and learning how to operate with both worlds is going to be really important too. So that's a really good call out. 
What about further learning and reading about leadership? Are there any blogs or books or podcasts that you really like that you'd recommend to our audience? I'm so glad that you asked me this because I'm lucky enough to get to meet a lot of rising professionals at IBM and whether that's kind of what we call an executive interview, which is really a meet and greet. And I find over and over, I recommend, depending on if it's their role, if they're a product marketer or content marketer, I might have some things that I recommend to them as some of my favorite resources. But from a leadership perspective, I do have three. And I find that I not only do I follow them on Twitter because I just love the daily inspiration, but that's just an easy way to kind of curate and follow their content. So who doesn't love Simon Sinek? And I find when I'm thinking about the message for a leadership offsite or a planning session, then I go back to Simon over and over just to kind of ground myself is what is effective leader stewardship look like and remind myself of the basics, but also just get tremendously inspired. I love love the first round review and I follow them on Twitter. So that's a review by a VC and, or it's a blog by a VC. And I use it as a great example of content, but they are amazing at the talent of technologists and industry leaders that they attract. And it's anything from how do you lead a virtual development team to change management to what are the best interview questions you can ask when building a new team. So it's very practical, written in an engaging way, great content, great insights. And then lastly, and I typically check him out a few times whenever I'm on Twitter every day is Vala Afshar. So Vala is the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce and a former CMO. So he's got that perspective, but he's very social for good. And, you know, he'll share snippets from other people or snippets from his life. And I think he's very approachable. And I think he's a great example of leadership and using social in the best possible way. So those are my three favorites. Those are such great insights and such great inspirational folks to follow. I love it. I haven't heard of Bala, so I'll definitely check him out. That sounds amazing. But I have to agree. I watch Simon Sinek's TED video probably every six months. It's just so inspirational. It kind of helps you get back to the why of what we do as product marketing and what we do as marketers. So I really love that. And yes, can definitely plus one first round. Amazing content there. Yeah, it does sound like you're very active on Twitter. That's so awesome. Is that the best way for people to reach you, to connect with you if they want to follow up after the show? Well, I think it's LinkedIn for me. I'm always kind of comparing Twitter to LinkedIn and my kids are like, mom, it's all about Instagram. I'm just not that cool yet. But I think it's really LinkedIn. And it's interesting because I love what Simon does on Twitter, but he has kind of a regular cadence on LinkedIn. So I just follow him there and I see it. But if anybody, I'd love to hear from folks and they can find me on LinkedIn. That's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that. Well, I wanted to also talk about something that I know has been a focus and a concern of yours throughout the pandemic, which is the outsized impact to women that the pandemic has really had in terms of the workforce. So there was this startling statistic in the New York Times last spring that talked about when the childcare centers and schools all shut down, about 5 million American mothers stopped working for pay. And today, only 1.3 million of them actually still remain out of work. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about what you think organizations, so big companies like IBM and Adobe, or individuals can even do to help counteract such a big issue that's happening right now. 
So even before COVID, and this is such a passion of mine, we suffer from pay inequality and we kind of march through the calendar year with equal pay day. So this many months after the calendar year, a woman of color or a woman would finally earn the same amount as her male counterpart. We had our challenges going into COVID and I saw a stat that just was heartbreaking and it's like COVID has cost us 25 years of gains from a female workplace perspective. I wouldn't be genuine if I didn't call out that there's such a difference if you're lucky enough to work in a corporate field, then you've got companies that embrace technology and working from home so that when schools and daycare are closed, and most of those, disproportionately, most of that caretaking fell to working women. And we are lucky enough to work in companies that offered flexibility, leave, mental well-being, physical well-being type of programs. But there's millions of women out there that work in retail or service industries or jobs that just don't offer that kind of flexibility. So it is very much a passion of mine that I think all of us that are lucky enough to have that kind of flexibility that both as citizens who vote and as nonprofit volunteers and donors that we're also strengthening our communities and just trying to lift women everywhere up in terms of real support. That's really helpful and such an important thing to highlight. I mean, I think everyone has their stories about what happened, especially those of us with children at the very beginning of the pandemic, but it's definitely heartbreaking to see that it's still continuing and there just aren't as many options for childcare anymore, or at least in the area that I'm in in Northern California. So it's become a lot more stressful, I think, than before the pandemic and really important to think about how you can help at these bigger organizations, but also in the nonprofit world too. One area that I've been focused on this year is helping out the survivors of domestic violence, because that has also really increased, unfortunately, during the pandemic and all sort of related to women, maybe not working, being home all the time, all of those different things. So anyways, to our listeners out there, do what you can to support these various nonprofits that help women in the workplace. And I think it's always great to remember as a manager, as a leader yourself to show grace to people that you need that flexibility right now. I mean, we're in such a weird time where if you are missing childcare for a week because of a COVID outbreak at your daycare or school, there's not a backup plan. There is just absolutely not. So we're not through this, unfortunately. And it's something we need to keep considering and making sure, especially the women that are at these very important positions are able to have the support that they need. I do think that COVID has helped people be much more understanding. I think that moms have always felt the pressure of, I've just got to figure this out. Now I hope that there is an environment where you can be more transparent and have your whole self at work. And if you've got those kinds of challenges going on, and quite frankly, it could be caring for a child or it could be caring for an elder parent. Some folks are in the middle of both dynamics right now, but I'm hoping that employers are seeing the value to the business of really accommodating our people because that's the way you attract the best talent is to really address the whole individual and being supportive. Absolutely. And I have noticed such a big change in the dynamics of the workplace where many of my male colleagues will actually talk about, oh, I have to go pick up my kid at school or I have to be there for the family. And that wasn't really part of the conversation prior to COVID, but it's, yeah, it's bringing your whole self a lot more about people's backgrounds and a lot more about their family life, the kids, the dogs, everybody's running in. It's hard to avoid. So I hope that that's a positive trend too, that really continues and that not just moms, but dads, And anyone that's caring for anyone out there feels a lot more comfortable talking about that. 
It absolutely is changing the workplace dynamic. And I find that that is one way that our male colleagues can really support us. When they're sharing those types of details, it helps women feel like it's not just a woman thing and that everybody needs to have this flexibility to deal with what's important in their lives. And so I think it is incredibly supportive and I'm glad that we're seeing it. Absolutely. Yeah, I have one colleague recently that had a new baby and he was changing a diaper while on a conference call. So I was just like, thank you. And he was, he actually had to talk during this. It was besides being hilarious. I was just very impressed that he told everyone, Hey, I'm changing a diaper right now. So please excuse that. But yeah, those little moments of time make it feel like it's not just women who have the burden of childcare, which is fantastic. I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the initiatives that you've been involved with that help lift women up. I know that there's a few, so I wanted to talk about those. I'm not sure who said it. I wish I could remember, but it's hard to be or to aspire what you don't see in your life. And that's particularly for women. We have less than the single digit handful of female CEOs in the United States now, or we're always at IBM actively looking at our female and diversity representation and our executive and leadership roles and working on that. And so both within our business units, so the systems business and within marketing, I'm really happy to be a part of our diversity recruiting and engagement and advancement programs. And most of that is just ensuring that there's good mentorship, good sponsorship. So someone who's advocating for promotions, but also that our talent is aware of educational opportunities, stretch opportunities, and really getting kind of visibility across various leaders who may have opportunities for them in the future. So making those connections, that's kind of within the context in the IBM world. Um, Here in Austin, we have a group called Leadership Austin, and they sponsored a diversity and inclusion seminar that really kind of challenged it. If you thought you were as progressive, when you go through this program and you realize in a humbling way that you've got a lot of work to do because there's all kinds of privilege that you may not realize that you've had. So just participating in the local community level. And then probably most rewarding is whether it's our high school programs here. We have the University of Texas at Austin here. We've also got historically black college, Houston Tillotson, is just the opportunity to speak students as they are thinking about their careers and talking about my experiences as a working student who paid my way for college. And I had some starts and stumbles along my career is that keep believing in yourself and be yourself. And if you can't do that, then it's not the right environment for you. And so keep pushing and a lot of wonderful things are possible. So just kind of having the opportunity to deliver that kind of message at a time when maybe it makes a difference to someone. I love it. And I love how you've focused on the corporate side, but also the community side as well to do anything that you really can. It's really inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing that. All right. I'd love to talk a little bit more about product marketing (laughs) and marketing in general and get an understanding from you since you've worked with so many people over the years. What do you think makes an amazing marketer or product marketer? Sure. You know, I'm so lucky because at IBM, I've had a chance to bring a few folks that I've worked with in the past and where the business needed them was in digital marketing, but they all worked with me previously as product marketing. So I just think that what you learn as a product marketer is so essential to being a great marketer. For me, when I'm hiring, whether, and it's usually product marketers that I've found to be the most challenging talent to hire, it's all about curiosity. So asking the why, downloading the trial and going 
going through the experience, downloading the piece of content and really figuring out that next call to action, seeing what it's like as a partner or as a client to go through your web engagement, just really being curious. That's in a reasonable sense, asking questions, being in a position to deliver real insights that changes the way a business makes decisions. And then also really being an effective communicator and collaborator. So you've got to share those insights and you got to be passionate about them. And how are those insights being applied to drive real change? And that goes back to the earlier theme of don't wait to be an executive or a manager. If you're an expert in your topic, use that insights and that expertise to drive change. That's actually how you get to be an executive. I love it. I totally agree with both of those points. In fact, one of my favorite questions to ask and get to the heart of that curiosity, because it's hard to say, are you curious, you know, is what have you learned lately? And so even if someone says, I decided to pick up Italian, or I learned how to train my dog or something like that just shows this zest for life and doing something new, I always try to really understand what it is that makes them tick. And then bonus points, as you mentioned, if they bring something to the interview that actually shows where your customer journey might be blocked or where your messaging might not be as effective compared to your competitors. People that are really into that buyer and customer mindset and actually can bring to you new ideas and show that they went a little bit above and beyond. I think that's really a way to do it. And I'd be curious, how do you test or how do you in the interview process suss out if someone is really collaborative or if they bring that expertise to meetings? Are there specific questions or ways to understand if it's the right fit? Well, I will always probe on when they've learned something, what did they do? How did they share it? What difference did it make? Did they check back? And I was just talking to our market insights team, our leadership team here at IBM, and we just completed a pretty powerful set of research around our partner experience. And it wasn't just, for me, the journey starts when the research is in, and then we're communicating, here's what we found. We have a definite point of view of recommendations, but then take that journey to what did the stakeholders, what was their reaction? action. Did anyone make any commitments? Did you sign up to check back in in three or six months on where are we against those commitments? So really making it kind of living and breathing. So in an interview setting, I would like to understand when something worked or didn't work, what's the journey of how they really brought the learnings to life. And I just have them kind of talk me through that process. That is so great. It's much like the thinking of product marketing doesn't end with the launch. <laughs> it's <laughs> That's the the curiosity <laughs> yeah. doesn't end when you actually have that knowledge. What do you do with it? I really love that and how it actually made an impact. Maybe learning Italian to go on your fabulous two-week Italian trip won't have as much impact with the organization, but I think that showing how you can disseminate that knowledge and improve yourself an expert, that's really great. I might steal that one with pride. <laughs> well, you know, I think the best experts really want to share what they know and it's sharing and making other people more successful. That To me, when you step out of being an individual contributor and you want to be a manager or leader, and I am lucky to meet a lot of people who want to know how to advance, I'm always probing on what's the motivation. And if the motivation is to help drive more impact through a team of people, and you have in shifting your mindset from what's going to make you successful to how do you develop and nurture and make your team more successful, that's a sure sign that you're ready for a leadership or an executive position because you've got to flip that switch where it's more about other people. And that's what I probe on in a lot of the conversations I'm having when I'm interviewing. 
That is a really good point. Yeah, I do get a lot of questions about how to get to the next level, how to manage a team. And I think that shows the maturity that they're ready, not just check the box or have that management experience, but also that they think that their expertise can lend more impact to the business and they have a lot to share and grow those folks as well. So that is a really, really good perspective. All right. I'd love to talk about, this is one of my favorite questions. Maybe that says something about me, but a time that you have failed, but what did you learn from that? I'd love to hear anything related to marketing, your career, product marketing. What's a good story for us, Meg? <laughs> well, it's kind of like, oh, which ones do I choose from? Right? So I feel like there's so many. I was one time pretty provocative because I was standing with a group of people in a making the marketer session at IBM. So a huge ballroom of marketers. And I said, Hey, how many people have ever been fired once? And some people raised their hands and, or twice, you know, or three times. And then at a certain point, I'm like the only one with my hand raised. And so I would say one of the examples of failure is, but I think it's also the idea of failing fast into trying something. And then what do you learn along the way so that you get smarter at it? And I would say early in my career, I was interested in trying new roles and I didn't always make them successful. Maybe the role wasn't a fit. Maybe the company wasn't a fit. And so then it became, what did I learn about that? And I learned pretty quickly how to identify genuinely interested in developing their people from a hiring manager perspective. I think you and I, when we were chatting in preparation for our podcast today, we kind of went through the idea of mentors and coaches. And when I look back, some of the people that have been, even though I'm such a proponent of women lifting each other up, I will say that men have probably been the biggest help in my career. And when I looked at what they had in common, they were often men married to professional women or men who had daughters. And so they had this affinity for helping women. So one of the things I learned through a couple of my false starts is to really get to know the hiring manager, really test that chemistry and what motivated them. That made me more selective about who I wanted to work for. That I take to the next level of what are the types of companies I work for. So whether it's a small company like a startup or IBM, you know, I spend time looking at the core values on the website of the company. I look at their leadership team, their commitment to diversity and inclusion, their public policies. So early on, what I would say a failure of mine is I wasn't always as selective in choosing the hiring manager or the roles or the companies I chose to work for. And when I started raising my standards and being much more selective. So it became more of a two-way selection process, not me just trying to get the job, but really qualifying them for, is this the type of company or leader I want to work for? Then I had much greater success. So the time I invested up front really paid dividends. I love the outcome of that. And it didn't get you down to be fired from these companies. And you kind of flipped the narrative and said, well, it's not me, it's them. I just didn't do Sometimes, yes. <laughs> into this company. So that's something we can add to the Meg infographic. <laughs> but I think that's a really good takeaway. And I think I've made the mistake too of joining companies when I felt pressured or I needed that job right away. I couldn't sure. wait another week or month and didn't do the due diligence. And it's always... If you don't go with your gut or do that extra research, I found that it always ends poorly. So that is or, really good advice. Or along the way, I would say sometimes not listening to that early spidey sense. Sometimes during the interview, and if you're lucky, you meet your hiring manager, but you also meet your peers, your other stakeholders, or even your team members, and not listening to some of those little tiny red alarms. They come up later. Sometimes you can work around them and you can get past them. But a few times I thought, oh, I should have paid attention to this more. So kind of trusting yourself. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I've always found it helpful to, if you can, to talk to the person that maybe recently left that job or to talk to other people in your same sort of season of life. So if there's other moms on the team, if there's other dads on the team with young kids to kind of get a sense for that work-life balance, even if they're not on your interview panel to ask around and then kind of do some light stalking on LinkedIn to see who had that job before and see if they can give you the real reason why they left. So a little back channeling and extra work goes a long way in my experience too. I actually do that on both ends. I'm happy to share what an environment was like, what a leader was like. And and I've also reached out. I've done the LinkedIn research and said, hey, I'm interested in this opportunity and how was it for you? And what I find is that people are super willing to be helpful and you meet some great people that way. I totally agree. And I think getting over the awkwardness of making that cold ask and having a 20 minute conversation can honestly save you years of happiness at your next job if you can dodge a bullet or really understand that it's not a good fit for you. So worth it to take that extra step. Well, where this, I think, is even more powerful for women, six months ago, I was looking for a new product marketing leader for one of our lines of business. And I reached out to a couple of candidates who just happened to be women. And I loved them. Ultimately, it wasn't the right opportunity for them. But then later, I get pinged by a recruiter. It's not the right opportunity for me. But I'm happy to share it with them or share the recruiter's name with them. And so I think that is the way that naturally networking can happen, just by meeting people, helping each other and then, oh, I know this person who would be great. And then just taking those few extra minutes to help somebody. I totally agree. Yeah, one of my mentors I actually met in a job interview that I did not get, but later she helped me start my product marketing consulting career and then hired me at a startup. So it is funny, it might not work out and you might be, oh, feel a little bit hurt that you didn't get that initial opportunity, but it's often nothing personal. You just weren't the right fit or the right person for that particular job, but down the line and keeping those relationships, I think that's so important and it can definitely happen. (laughs) Mary, that's such a good point. I had somebody that I have consistently kind of followed along their career. We met when I was looking at a CMO opportunity and I ultimately decided that it was not for me, but this particular marketer was so impressive that I just decided I wanted to keep contact with her. I've tried getting her on at IBM and she's really happy where she's at. But what she does that's really nice is that she'll touch in every now and then and say, here's what I'm working on and what I'm learning. Here's what I might be interested in the future. And it's just this really easy dynamic. And over the years, we've really gotten to know each other where even though we've never worked day to day, she feels comfortable and I feel comfortable being a reference when people are asking me about the way that she continues to kind of push herself to learn or the way she builds her team, because we've kind of talked about it in an informal mentoring sense. So when people ask me like, how do you network? I'm like, this is a great example. It can start in small ways, but it comes down to taking an interest in the other person. That is so great. I totally agree. And I'm really happy that you also have an experience just like that. And it pays to just keep the relationships alive. If you click with someone, make sure to keep following up with them and maybe it'll turn into something more. And maybe you will get to work with her on a day-to-day basis in the future. Awesome. Well, I can't believe it, but it's already time for our rapid fire question. So wonderful. Yeah. We've been speaking about mentors, so this should be an easy one, but I'd love to hear about who have been your strongest mentors along the way. Yeah. So it's definitely been the male heads of sales or the CEOs in the smaller companies. I usually reported to them and they gave me opportunities in a smaller company kind of step up. And so I would say it's the male executives that I've had a chance to work for. That's fantastic. And it's so great that they have been able to share their expertise with you and help you grow as well. 
And would you say that the best way to find a mentor, at least in your experience, has been through people that you have worked with and had that experience with, or are there other outlets that you found? So at IBM, we're lucky because we try to assign mentors, but for whatever reason, sometimes that formal assignment didn't always work for me. So sometimes when I'm on a call and somebody just consistently impresses me, I'll reach out to them and say, thank you so much. This is what I learned. Here's what I'm working on. I try to offer something of value to them and then not just make it about what they can do for me, but make it more of a give and take. So my best mentoring relationships have happened informally. I am an avid fan of the learning that LinkedIn can provide. And I love to follow people. And if I read something that's great, I'll reach out to the author and say, I love this. I'm using it in a team meeting. And they're very generous. They'll come back. And that's another way that you can start a relationship. So I actively use LinkedIn. And then I would say, whether it's the American Marketing Association or your local product marketing camp, and we're lucky to have an active one here in Austin, just joining some of those events and helping lift up the profession, that's a great way to make connections. Those are all such great outlets. Thanks so much for sharing that. All right, this might be a hard one to boil down, but what would you say is one thing that has been the most important in terms of growing your career? So this is a golden oldie and it goes back to my mom, a true hero in my life. And it is such basic advice, but it really is tough sometimes. And that is to be yourself and to believe in yourself. And for me, I have been the youngest on an executive team and now I am not the youngest on an executive team. And ageism is probably my next passion. It's real in startups. It's real in tech. And if you're at an environment where it's because you're a woman of color or a woman with disabilities or women of certain age, and you feel that somehow that's a disadvantage, then you need to believe in yourself and realize that there is an environment and a culture that's out there for you that will realize that with age comes experience and wisdom. Or if you're at the earlier part of your career and without that experience, it's your energy and your fresh perspective that an organization would value. I guess it goes back to my mom's advice is that you need to find an environment where believing in yourself and being yourself is valued, and then it's the right environment for you. So I would say it's never too early or never too late to make that change. I love it. And it's kind of back to the, it's not you, it's them. (laughs) (laughs) Find the right place for you so you can be your authentic self. I really love that. What about networking? It sounds like you are great at it, but I'd love to hear if you have any tips on what's worked really well for you. Well, IBM is a really huge company. And so I've had the opportunity to kind of build some new muscles there. And I would say that the other skill that IBM has kind of helped me is that you're learning how to lead and influence through a very matrix organization. And sometimes that comes from asking for help. So within your organization, I'd say network by learning what people are doing, what they're focused on, what do they need to be successful, and then where you can helping. From a social media perspective, I mean, we have such power powerful tools, whether it's in LinkedIn is by far my favorite. And that's where I just love to consume great content. And over and over, I find that it's the same few people that for whatever reason, their content really resonates with me. And it's so easy just to reach out to them and let them know what their content meant to you. And that is actually uh, really rewarding for them. And that's a great way to start a relationship. I also try to make it a point of if I can't help somebody, I try to refer them. I do set aside all the sales inquiries because there's a lot on LinkedIn and that's the way we train our sales team. So good for them for trying. But when people are genuinely looking for advice or for help with their career, I really do try to do my part there. 
That's so awesome. And we actually started talking, I think I reached out to you a year and a half ago after seeing some brilliant presentation you did and we kind of started <laughs> talking and then this opportunity came up to have you on the show. So it can be done. That's and- right. Yeah, exactly. It works out that exact way. So I totally agree. And I think it's the one silver lining I see for COVID and everything working from home is that people are a lot more open to having virtual coffee chats. And I feel like my network has actually expanded so much more than it would just by trying to meet and coordinate and have a drink with someone in real life and all of that. So it has been nice to broaden the network. And often I meet people via LinkedIn that we have kind of mutual interests or things that we want to chat about. So don't be shy. (laughs) a hook that you talk to people. Don't be too salesy. And that's a really good way to connect with people. I love it. And LinkedIn's smart because there's all kinds of groups and forums. And then just by following people and whether you've picked out companies or industry thinkers, I think it's a great platform that really enables people to kind of take their interests in different directions, but communities and forums are pretty powerful for people to explore on LinkedIn. Totally agree. All right. We've talked about a lot of career advice, but is there one thing you want to leave with our listeners today about how to grow their career? You know, I was just on a call where we were talking about a fitness app with HR and a group that was sponsoring it. And we've just come off a period where we kind of refreshed our well-being. And if I kind of think of Maslow's hierarchy and people are like, oh my gosh, she's bringing that up. But kind of just as you think about your career to ground yourself in, are you taking care of yourself? Are you trying to be physically healthy? Are you allowing yourself the time you need to refresh and recharge and unplug? We, You know, for those holidays, and those vacations really do unplug. If you're a leader or a manager, set the right example so that you're not on, so that your team feels empowered to not be on, whether it's their vacation or their holiday. So I'm going to go back to so much advice you could give on building your career, but you've got to start by being healthy and taking care of yourself. I totally agree. It completely falls apart if you do not do that. <laughs> so. And especially if you're a working mom, you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of everyone else. Or if you're a son or a daughter taking care of a parent, you've got to take care of yourself. Totally. Yeah. Even finding that if it's 20 minutes a day that you go on a walk or hop on the Peloton bike or whatever your thing is that centers you, make the time for that. And it, yeah, I think it took me 10, 12 years to learn that piece of advice. So hopefully people take it to heart now. <laughs> so I'm so glad you brought up taking a walk as a, and back in February, I made the commitment. I felt like for the last five years, especially the last two years, I just sat for hours in a chair and I'm like, I've got to get moving. And what I'm going to encourage people, it's really practical. We're all doing these, you know, we're probably all on large conference calls or a town hall, whether it's your CEO or your CMO speaking, and you're a listener because you're not actively able to talk because it's one of those big kind of forms. That is a great opportunity. Take your headphones, take your phone and go out and walk. And you'll actually find that by walking, you'll pay more attention to the content. And I would also, we're trying to encourage folks to schedule 25 minute meetings or 45 minute meetings so that people can have a break between calls and get up, move around, grab some water, go out and get the mail, whatever it is. But it comes back to prioritize yourself. So I guess I would say, be yourself, believe yourself and prioritize yourself. I love it. Those are so good. That's the headline of the Make Murphy infographic that we're now creating. All right, just a couple more, but what would you say motivates you? I love to learn and I love to make something better. 
I came from a family that were farmers and in construction. So they either like to create things or to build things. And if I had chosen a different path, I'd probably still be in construction because I love kind of stepping back and saying, oh, we built that together. So I think to be an effective leader, to be an effective marketer, you've got to be a continuously committed to learning and learning is exciting. It keeps you modern and relevant. And the best way to lead a team is to really understand what's going on in their day-to-day life. And that means you've got to embrace new technology and new ways of doing things. And that's what the rising team members on my team bring to me is they give me perspective and new insights and a new way of doing things. And I love having people value what we're doing together. So learning, creating great work that makes a difference to the team, makes a difference to the business and is valued. That's amazing. Well, I'm so glad you're at a place where you feel like you are constantly motivated and those learnings and insights and fresh perspectives are coming to you so you can continue to just be amazing at your job. That's so fun. All right, last question for you. What's next? Well, we've been at IBM and marketing, we've been living kind of, I'd say, in a hybrid mode. We moved a lot of our teams into the new formation, but we were still had our budgets and kind of our reporting structures. And even the way we process things as basic as a PO in the system was kind of all aligned to our old way. So I'm super excited about what 2022 is going to bring for us because we'll all be on this one global marketing team. We will have had the past few months to really take advantage of, well, what's this new formation really, what learnings are we really getting from that and what kind of series of iterations or tweaks. So I'm excited about the team coming together in a way we've never come together before. And we've invested in new technology and what can we do to help make our customers more successful as a team? That's so exciting. Well, thank you so much again, Meg, for being here today. I personally learned a lot. I know our listeners are going to love this episode and just really appreciate all you do for women, all you do for the world. And thanks again for being part of Women in Product Marketing. Well, thank you, Mary. I love this podcast and I love what you're doing. So I really appreciate the honor of getting a chance to share a few insights. Of course. Thanks again. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, we explore understanding your buyer and leveraging your strengths with Alicia Eve, the Director of Product Marketing at Citrix and the host of the Women on Work podcast. Can't wait for this one.